the faith of God's elect. As we begin this new series in Titus, it's, it's a wonderful book that looks at not just doctrine, but godly living. And so when we come to Titus, we see here, especially in the first verse, just the two goals of gospel ministry. Faith, the faith of God's elect and the faith that leads to godliness through knowing God's truth. And so just to give us an introduction this morning, we want to look through what Titus has to say to us concerning these things. But before then, I wonder if you watch athletics. I do tend to time once in a while I do. But there's a story of the US sprint, the sprint, the men's relay team. That over the last few years, have just been countless errors made. And so they're not strangest errors. Over the years, mistakes and signs of incompetency as they finished outside the podium time and time again. And even one occasion, they, finished, they even failed to advance to the final. And so in 2008, the Olympics in Beijing, one of the runners dropped the baton during the exchange from one guy to the next. In 2009, the World Championships, two runners, they exchanged before the passing zone. Again, failing resulting in disqualification. Before August 2021, the US spring team relay again, they did terribly, so terribly that it's, it's recorded that years before, seven previous Olymp- um, um, athletics meets, they failed consistently. But August 2021, you think, oh, after all of this fail- failure, Something will surely be different. Well, once again, the US team, they were favourites. Usain Bolt was not around, and so they were favourites, ready to run again. But lo and behold, the same situation. A delayed exchange between the two top runners resulted in failure again. See, passing the baton successfully in the relay it's important. It's important for the goal of winning, but it's also important for the rules of competing. And so in the same way we find here in Titus, Paul is passing on the gospel baton. He's passing on this gospel ministry to his prodigy in Titus. The exchange in a relay is an important one, but the exchange in, of the gospel is a spiritual exchange. And so Paul's apostol- apostolic ministry alongside other apostles in the Bible was the bedrock upon which the New Testament was written as we know it. Paul recognised he was soon to depart and it was, to be, it was being poured out as a drink offering. It was crucial for him to communicate the gospel to others that would continue the work, to share the faith. And so Paul writes in verse 4 to Titus, my true child in common faith. He addresses this to Titus. He calls him my true child, my beloved disciple, my co-worker in the gospel. 
the one that we work together to bring the gospel to others. And so verse 4 gives us a pretty good sense of the relationship between Paul and Titus. One that seeks to grow a fellow believer. One that seeks to walk alongside, to be tender, to coach him, to mentor him, to reveal to him true faith. And so we see Paul, a Jew, deems Titus a Greek, a fellow Christian, a follower of Christ. And he acknowledges that they share common faith in Jesus. He's saying that we are bound together in Christ. But also we see a sense of discipleship, this relationship between the two. They're so instrumental because we see later on it was instrumental in Titus's conversion, but also instrumental to this young pastor leading the people in Greece. Who was Titus? We, we gather our knowledge of Titus from 2 Corinthians, Galatians and 2 Timothy. He wasn't mentioned in Paul's missionary records by Luke in Acts, but we know certainly he was certainly there. He would have been converted right at the beginning of Paul's first mission trip. And so we read about Titus in Galatians 2 verse 1 to 2, for example. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of the revelation I went up because of a revelation that was set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And so Paul played a huge part in Titus coming to faith in AD 47 to 49. But also further on in, during the times of the Jerusalem Council when they, there was a debate going on about the circumcision. He's saying Titus didn't have to be circumcised. Why? Because faith was beyond physical circumcision, but rather a circumcision of the heart. And so further on, Paul, in his second mission journey, would have gone along with Titus, preached to the Jews as well as the Greeks in Athens. And they travelled to Corinth and Antioch. And then they continued on to the third mission trip, to Galatia, to Ephesus and Macedonia. But then Paul was arrested. Was arrested for speaking about Christ, sharing the gospel, living a life devoted to Christ. He was imprisoned and was under house arrest. But what did he do in that time? He used it for gospel purposes. So that when he came out again after his imprisonment, he sought Titus. They went along to Crete. They went on that mission trip to speak the gospel, to share. And then he planted a church there and left Titus. And after this, Titus was written to in AD 62 to 64, roughly. And most likely this would have been a letter because Titus would have maybe written to Paul. And this was a response to him. Paul writes this letter saying 
These are the things, these are the standards of the gospel. This is the doctrine that leads to righteousness. And then Paul dies, AD 67, three years after writing to Titus. Why is this important? 20 years of ministry, from that first mission trip to his death, Paul grafted for the gospel. Paul worked hard for the gospel. Not himself, but Christ in him. And so he passes on the baton, knowing there's God that's kept him, that has walked with him in the imprisonment, in the fatalities of life that he faced close to death, the beatings for the gospel. He says, here, take this battle. This faith I've run has not been my own accord on my own strength, but Christ in me, the hope of glory for the sake of God's elect. So Paul writes this letter to Titus not too long after he writes to Timothy. And so both these letters to Timothy and Titus are classed as the pastoral epistles. And sometimes we read them almost like it's just we go to them to see the criteria for leaders or a criteria for a pastor or for an elder. But it's so rich in gospel, gospel truth. I myself have made such mistakes, thinking that I could just go to there. That's the criteria and just move on from Titus. But all scripture is breathed out by God. This is dynamic. It's as dynamic as the book of Acts. And it's so rich in gospel truths as the book of Romans. Why was Titus left behind in Crete? Verse 5 in chapter 1 gives us a window into the gospel work undertaken. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This culminated in Titus being tasked with appointing leaders, elders, who would continue to work there also. The people there were Christians. They'd received the good news. But Paul didn't seek to stop there and move on. He ensured that there was proper governance, leadership within the church. The mission needed to continue even when Paul wasn't there physically. The church lacked things. The church hadn't grown into maturity. And so he passes on his baton to his trusted and fellow co-worker. What were these Christians lacking? Three things, three major truths. They lacked leadership. They lacked gospel-centered leadership. The gospel must be at the heart of every leadership. See, church leadership is about being steward of what God has given. It's about stewardship. It's been said, this church that exists here, many batons has been passed on. Many men preaching the gospel. The gospel up and down this land. The gospel will always be proclaimed. But the baton must be passed on to godly leaders. Those who would be steward, who would steward the gospel and the truth of God. These leaders must teach sound doctrine. 
that promote healthy faith and love. For a healthy body, we, we can't rely on just junk food in order to grow healthy bodies. Likewise, spiritual bodies need spiritual food. Truth, the truth of God that cuts deep. We don't like it, but it's real. It does good for us. It builds us up. It disciplines us. We must be able, Paul says, to rebuke those who contradict the gospel, who contradict the truth of God, to be bold, to be loving, but also bold to say that's not the truth. Because many here in this, in this, this small island in Crete were boasters, worshipped false idols, myths, thinking that their ways could lead them to righteousness, a righteous-based working, but did not rely on God and Christ. Number two, the gospel should shape a person within the church. Paul was seeking to tell Titus, it's all about the gospel. It's got to be central at the heart of all that you do within the church. Why? Because it flows into how you live at home also. This is crucial. Because older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. We are sinners, but we must grow to mature. Why? It's important. Older men, an example for others. Older women, an example for others. Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women. Young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. The gospel works in and through believers to change how we live on a daily basis. It's not just to be hidden. It's to be lived out. And so in other mentions, it talks about later on as well in bond servants to be submissive to their own masters. Here is Paul, a servant of God, saying bond servants to be submissive to their own masters. He knows what it means to be a bond servant. And so the gospel, number three, Paul was saying to Titus, should affect how a believer lives at, in the world at large. We're just not in our small bubbles. But how do you live at work? How do you live amongst your colleagues? Those nights out, those conversations on a daily basis by the water machine. How should we live under the government that presides over us? The relationship with your boss, your timekeeping, your task on the mission field, your eagerness to see souls being saved, your hunger for righteousness in others and in yourself. 
So as we journey through this letter in Titus, we should take note of the instruction the Bible has on living a life pleasing to God. We seek to live a life devoted and pleasing to God alone. Not to please man. But what I am doing, does it please God? Is he approving of this? Man could say something else, but does God approve of this? That's the main thing. And so also we must examine ourselves to see if our lives are in keeping with the profession of our faith. And so this morning, how does the, how the, does the ministry of the gospel, how does it directly influence and affect the faith of others? So Paul opens this letter. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus, of Jesus Christ. He then addresses the recipient later on, as we read earlier in verse 4, to Titus. And finally, the end of verse 4, he concludes with a benediction that unites, that grace that unites them. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. Paul in verse 1 is saying that I am a doulos, I am a slave, I have a master. Servant doesn't do it justice. He's saying I am a slave. I bow down. I surrender. I submit. I give my all to Christ Jesus, my God. He's saying, I am owned by God. He has me in his arms. He holds me fast. He is my rock. He's my shield. He is my hiding place. He's my all in all. He gives me all I need. I am owned by him. So a slave is never greater greater than their master. He's saying, God, I am his, he is my portion. I am his possession. I belong to God. And so in saying that, he's saying that I serve God. My service is to my master. I'm at his command, at his beckon. Whatever he says, I'll do. Whatever he says, I'll go. I should go, I will go. This is him saying, all I am, all I have, my strength, my life, my waking, my sleeping, my job, my breath, belongs to my master. But typically, Paul tends to refer and begins a lot of his letters as servant of Christ. But here he says, a servant of God. Is there a difference? Well, we know Jesus is God. Jesus is the living God revealed to us. And so here he mentions the two persons of the Trinity, saying, I'm a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What he's saying by the servant of God is an allusion to the servants of old. Your servants of old, your Moses, your Joshua. He's saying that as these men walked with the Lord closely, as they heard from God, as they talked with God, they worshipped God, they served him. 
They walked in his will and his way. He's saying, I too, by his grace, I am a servant of God. Why is this important for Titus to know? Why should we as Christians know this? Paul foremost recognises that his service is to God Almighty. You should know that before his conversion, he already thought that he was of service to God. He thought he was, he really was a man of principle, of discipline. He kept the law. He obeyed God's command. He was persecuting Christians thinking he's doing this for God. But he was a slave to the law. He was a slave to the world. A works-based righteousness. His master was not God. He was a slave to Satan, a slave to the world. All his credentials, his service before his conversion did not make him a bond servant of God. Paul truly became a servant when he encountered Jesus on the way to Damascus. A slave of God is the person who has received the grace and the peace of God purchased by our Lord and Saviour on the cross of Calvary. To be a slave of God is to give your life over to the great master. And that's what Paul sought to do. From persecuting God's people and, and thus persecuting Jesus, he came under the lordship of Christ and his life never remained the same. Why was this important for Titus and for any Christian? Let's look at verse 1 again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect. Servanthood is what every believer is called to. It's what we're called to. And so Paul says, I am a servant of God, but for the purposes of God's chosen people, Christians, to further their faith or for the faith of God's elect. That's what he's saying. That you too would know, that you would know that believing in Jesus is not an intellectual assent. But it's not an emotional thing, an emotional decision that you make. But it's living according to his purposes. It's being awakened to the lordship of Jesus. In turn, we submit as bond servants to him. So Paul not only introduces himself as a servant, as we read, he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm a messenger of Jesus, the sent one. Paul extends his bond of service to God with this unique word that's only ever used in two ways in the Bible. When he calls himself an apostle, he's saying either that he's physically seen Jesus or a church planter, one that pioneers planting churches. But mostly when we read about this word apostle is used as those who are eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ himself, and name, namely the 12 disciples. Paul did not know Jesus when he was on earth, but after Jesus revealed himself on that way to Damascus and called him, he called him as an apostle, a messenger of Christ to the Gentiles. So most likely, Paul is referring to this definition of apostleship. Paul's life had dramatically changed. From presumed service to God, to service 
to God through Christ, saving him. He meets with God. God through Christ Jesus, uh, the Son of God, the living God himself. And in that encounter in Acts 9, he says, the Bible says he was blinded for three days. He was without sight. But after three days, the Lord Jesus sent a messenger to him, Ananias, who laid his hand on him. Paul received his sight and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Acts 9, 18 says to us, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. There was a story of a man, Eric Wenemea, who was born with retinoschisis, slowly made him blind. He completely lost his sight at the age of 13. But that didn't stop him with his ambitions. Eric spent his whole life overcoming seemingly impossible challenges to become one of the most accomplished adventurers in the world. In 2001, he was crowned the first and only blind man to reach the summit of Mount Everest. In 2008, he climbed the seven summits across seven continents, a feat that only 1,818 others had achieved. Along with a taste of adventure, Eric was also involved with various charities for the visually impaired. And he founded No Barriers USA. His aim was to aid people with various disabilities to live a full and rewarding life. Many books have been written about him. A movie has been made about him. And more recently, Eric's speaking career has taken him across the globe, highlighting that you don't have to have perfect sight to have vision. Physical blindness is challenging. How much more spiritual blindness? Not knowing the Lord is walking in darkness. Going nowhere. And so Paul on the way to Damascus was blinded and Jesus appeared to him. How would he have felt the dread? The, he must have been frightened out of his life. The helplessness. All that righteous anger that he had to go and to persecute God's people. Just flat. Now he's surrendered, humbled by the Lord. But unlike Eric, he regained his sight. How much more should Paul's joy and spiritual vision be? A man that had counted the Lord Jesus, submitted to his will, and that same Jesus opened up his eyes to see. He began to run with such joy and vigor and energy for the Lord who revealed himself to him. From that time on, he stopped at nothing to make Christ known. Paul not only received his physical sight, but he was a new creation in Christ, now filled with the Holy Spirit. His spiritual eyes were open and he had new lenses to see true vision. Jesus had revealed and renewed his hope 
and like Eric who had great care for those who were vision impaired. Paul had such hunger to see those who were spiritually blind come to know the Lord. That, is, that should be every Christian's desire. That when our eyes are open, we are filled with such joy, such energy and say, I can see. I can see. Come. Come and see this Lord Jesus. It should be about a blind beggar who is seen saying, come, you're blind and you're a beggar too. I know a saviour that can give you a gift of eternal life. That can give you sight that you've never seen before. Whatever you've done, that darkness that you're in, he's able to flood you with light and to save your soul. That is the Lord that we serve. And so Paul makes it his purpose, his motivation, his way of life to see others coming to faith for the sake of God's elect. How has your purpose changed since coming to Christ? Do you have this renewed energy? Do you have this joy? Do you have this desire for the lost? Do you have this desire for God's elect? How have you noticed change in your motivations? Have they changed or have they remained the same? What does your way of life reveal about your faith? See, Paul, the vilest of offenders, was elected before time. God showed him grace and mercy. He was chosen before time to be a servant and a witness for God's kingdom, for the sake of God's elect. What was Paul's purpose? To make Christ known. Speaks of his apostleship. He knew no other purpose but immense purpose of his master, to do his father's will. He spent his resources, his time, whatever it took to preach the gospel, to persuade men of what Jesus did in his life. Content of Christian faith, Bavink says, is the knowledge of God in his being and his will and his works. That is the Christian faith, to know the living God. And Paul sought to do this and to make him known. Paul raised up other leaders to pass on the baton, as we said earlier. What was Paul's motivation? The love of God compelled him. The love of Christ that he had received. That was, it, that was his motivation. And so when, when you know how much you have been forgiven, what Christ has done in your heart, the only response is to share about that to others. The love of Christ is what took Paul on his four mission trips. It's what sustained him when he was being shipwrecked, when he was close to death. The love of Christ as Paul says in Philippians 3, 12, that Christ has made him his own. His joy and his love is that he is owned by the Lord. That he is the possession of Christ. God had chosen Paul before the foundations of the world. Before he was even conceived. The Bible calls this election. We mustn't hide from this word. God chooses his people. God loves his people and has sent forth Christ into this world. Grace has appeared 
bringing salvation to God's people. And so we see Paul's understanding of election in Galatians 1, 15 to 16, where he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, receiving grace, transformation in his life for the sake of God's elect, the Gentiles. Are you known by God this morning? Can you truly say that God owns your life? Are you growing in knowing God? Are you seeking on a daily basis to grow and to cultivate that habit of knowing more and more of the living God? You can't know him fully. But we need to seek. That hunger must be there. If that hunger is not there, we need to ask for that hunger and desire. Do you have love for God's people? Do you seek the best in others? Do you seek to share the gospel with others? Do we ask ourselves daily what motivates us? What's my motivation for going to work? What's my motivation for where I live? Is it about God's elect? Is it about God's kingdom purposes? Are we in awe of the grace of God that has been shown to us? When we know how much of a sinner we are, how wretched we are, our desires that are within us, our thoughts life that others can't see, but we know how much we have been forgiven of those things, past, present, future. It should move us to action. Are you so in love with Jesus that you can't wait to share about him to others? Or do you leave that to the evangelists? People with the sound words, they, they know how to talk. It's not about us. These things must be surrendered to God. We must so surrender our lives to God that our weaknesses are surrendered to him also. If we were to look at our weaknesses, I would not be standing here today preaching God's word. We must recognize that these things must be submitted to God and be used for God's elect and God's purposes. When we look at ourselves, when we look at our abilities or our way of words, only just kills us. But when we look to Christ, the Bible says we are radiant. The glory of Christ, the strength of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, the hope of Christ is made known to us. God's elect desire to know God because God knows them. My sheep know my voice, Jesus said. Today, Seek to make Jesus your love, your treasure, your motivation. What was Paul's way of life? Faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith for faith. He sought to submit to God's authority, his power and his will. A slave to God's commands. His direction is leading. To fulfill God's will and purposes. To know God. 
most especially to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? To die on a daily basis for the sake of Christ and God's elect? What does this mean as we close for us all here today? It is for Titus' sake, for the sake of the church at large, for the sake of the church here in Bexley Heath, that God was pleased to save a wretch like Paul. It is the clear sign of God's ever-flowing grace, of his mercy and his goodness, the fountain of love that comes from the fountain of Jesus' blood shed on Mount Calvary. Jesus saves sinners. He grants repentance. He grants faith to trust in him. If you're saved here this morning, praise be to God. Be thankful that you are in the kingdom. But this gift of salvation is not just for yourself. It's not just to be hidden away in the cupboard. It's not just to be brought out at Christmas time. God has saved you for the sake of God's elect. You are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness to his marvellous light. See, the good news of Jesus is so amazing that those who are blind, now we see and we go and draw those who are blind to the fold to seek the lost. So Paul, in saying he's a servant of God, first makes it clear that the apostleship was secondary. In turn, every Christian, first of all, should be a servant of God. You cannot proclaim about God until you serve God, until you are a servant of God, until you are a slave of God, until you have surrendered your life. That's when your proclamation is authentic because you're living the life. You're living that eternal life. You're seeking to do God's will and purposes. Are we perfect? No. But every resolve, every resolve to seek to submit to God is granted with more strength. As I said earlier, our weaknesses are for the sake of our brothers and sisters. It's amazing that the the Lord uses those very things very weak within us for his gospel purposes when we submit them. I remember a, a pastor in our old church who found it really difficult to go on the plane. He was always sick. But the Lord called him to the mission field to travel. That was his heart, to do mission work. He needed to get on the plane each time. He needed to trust the Lord. He needed to leave his fears at the foot of the cross. For the sake of the gospel. Are you submitting your fears to God? Are you submitting your weaknesses? Those things that, are, that limit us. Almost like we can't do it. Or are you resting in the strength of Christ? Your suffering is for the sake of others. We walk the valleys. So that when you get out. Or if you don't get out. The way you're living in the valley. Is a witness to those around you that you're trusting in God, that God is keeping you, that you're not just looking to your circumstances, but you're looking to Christ. Your suffering is for the sake of others. Your sickness, your battle with sickness of the body and the mind 
so that you can continue to trust in the Lord who will make you whole, whether here on earth, but certainly one day, all sickness will be wiped away. And so continue to trust in the Lord because someone, you're a witness to someone else. Are you blessed with children? Where they are looking for you. God has given you that such an, that an environment for them to raise them up in the way of the Lord. A gospel environment. They may come to faith, they may not come to faith, but yours is for the sake of God's elect. We don't know who is God's elect. We seek to create that gospel-centered environment. If you have no children, well, you're blessed with slightly more time to share the gospel, to be a witness, to demonstrate that you are for the Lord and that you are a bride of Christ. And so your life should be lived in such a way that your king is coming. And so you present your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Don't waste those time. Seek the Lord daily. Our outreach, our personal evangelism are for the sake of God's elect. Our imperfect singing, our imperfect rejoicing are for the sake of God's elect. When you rejoice and declare of God's goodness and what he's done for you, it's a witness to those that are in the church and to the world to say that Christ is something different about you. That Christ has given you such a hope that in whatever you're facing, he has renewed you. He has granted you strength and joy that's unspeakable. The world cannot give such joy. The world cannot understand the Christian joy. Why? Because Christ is our joy. Our soon coming king will return. And our hope is in him to trust and know he is coming back one day. Just as sure as his resurrection, Jesus will return. That is our joy and that is our hope. The men's ministry, the women's ministry, the mission trips abroad, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the mums and tots, the stay and play. It's for, the God's, for God's people, God's elect. God humbles us for the sake of of others he takes us out of our comfort zone we cannot rely on being comfortable if you're a Christian and your life is comfortable you must pray because it's not good to be so comfortable the Lord must stir up within you and hunger and desire for his purposes we don't just sit and relax. There is no retirement in God's kingdom. We continue to work for God's elect. In whatever way God has called us to do that. Seasons change. But we work for God's elect and for God's purposes. The gospel removes the fear of man. It removes the fear of the world, the fear of Satan. It grants unto us the fear of God. When we have the fear of God within us, we can only submit in reverence, in adoring him and worshipping him. Every Christian must be a servant of God. Useful for God and God's people. Are you being useful for God's people as we close? Are you being useful for God's people? Examine your life and see if there's evidence of God working in your life and through your life to present the gospel to others, to build others up in the faith, to instruct others, 
to strengthen the faith of a believer. To be of a benefit, you must know God first. Continue to know the Lord. Seek to know him. Comprehend the facts of the gospel. The reality is we hear the gospel daily, weekly, but we forget the gospel. I forget the gospel. We must constantly be reminded of the gospel. It is so crucial to how we live. Every time we sin, it's because we forget the gospel. So as we close, you can almost hear Paul rejoicing as he writes, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of God's elect. Being a servant of God should exude joy. It is not something minuscule. But rather, being a slave of God is Christ exalted. It's self-humbling. He must increase and I decrease. Joy should be at the centre of all that we do, as it was for Paul. For a Christian, faith should lead to joy in Christ. Your joy and your pain should be used for his purposes. Paul was a sinner and a man like us. But he beat his spiritual body into shape for the sake of God's elect. Are you living a disciplined life? Your life will impact your brothers and sisters will impact the world, those that are around you. Your life is a witness to the world and those in the church. You can't serve God and serve the world. You can't eat Morley's 24-7 and expect to be fit. We can't live our lives on Netflix and on our phones constantly and ignore God's word. We can't wake up in the morning and do anything else and think that is our priority without meeting our Lord first. He who is least among you is the one who is great, Jesus says. So today the Lord is calling to us. Come and seek and receive his salvation. Repent and trust in the Lord. And if you're a Christian, God is saying, use your gifts. Submit your weaknesses. Rely on God for his kingdom purposes. Will you answer the call of God today? Paul passed on the baton to Titus, but every Christian here today has received that baton to share the gospel, to go forth, to proclaim about God's excellences for the sake of God's elect. Amen. Amen.